Welcome back, baseball fans, to another edition of the Prep Baseball Report of North Carolina Podcast. I'm Brandon Hall, the Mid-Atlantic Regional Director of Scouting, and he's Matt Payne, our North Carolina Director of Scouting. ton of information ready to roll out this week, Matt. We've seen a ton of players over the last, really, month continue to educate those guys. But beyond that, it's rankings week. And when rankings week happens, our website gets flooded, and that's a good thing. How you doing, buddy? Doing good. It is ranking season, and uh, busy busy few weeks ahead. So, so for us, rankings week it's it's kind of a, a double edged sword. You know, we love the interest, we love being able to talk about prospects, we love being able to um, go through and, and 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 cut guys up and dice them up. But I think across the world, people put too much emphasis on who's number two and who's number five and who's number twenty and who's number thirty. Um, whereas, you know, when we're building this stuff out, you know, I'll let you talk. How, how do you go about building out the rankings? And, I, and again, we're going to release the 2024s on Wednesday um, and, and, and have a little bit of a campaign in behind them, and the 2025s are coming next week. But as you're diving into this list and all these players we saw this summer, what's your process to get them into some sort of order? Yeah, you know, obviously everybody has a number beside their name, and uh, it's it's debatable always, but uh, it's not so much – that number, I think, you know, we've, we've talked about it before. You, you kind of put guys together and, you know, guys are grouped with very similar players that have similar grades on them. And, you know, you can kind of take those groups of guys and organize them anyway and, you know, make an argument for them to be right. And just trying to put them together with guys we've seen and, you know, guys that have been to events and the guys have tools and some guys perform in games and getting that balance of, of workout guys versus game guys versus guys that have shown they can do both. And, and one of the questions we get a lot is, obviously, we have preferential treatment. If they come to a PBR event, they have to be ranked. If they come to a PBR event, they'll be ranked ahead of everybody else that hasn't been <laughs> to a PBR event. Is that accurate? That is not accurate. Uh, if we did it that way, the list would look a whole lot different, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, the goal the goal is to be right, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's a unique situation that we're in because pro scouts and college coaches do look at our work. Whereas when you were at App State and you had your recruiting board, you probably had them in an order. You probably had rankings without saying these are our rankings. They were in some sort of order, in some sort of list, but nobody else outside of your office saw that. So you guys would debate it in your office. Um, you know, when we turn this thing loose to the world, you know, we hear from college coaches, we hear from pro scouts, we hear from uh, national cross checkers, we hear from high school coaches, we hear from moms and dads, we hear from players themselves. Um, and honestly, a lot of the feedback is pretty positive in terms of we know you guys are working. I don't agree with everything, but we appreciate the list. Occasionally, we get the outlier of you guys are freaking lost your mind and you don't have any idea what you're, t- you're talking about. But it's 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 something that we take pride in because it is we're being evaluated by it. So to speak. this is this is like a midterm or, or a final for us as we're posting these names, letting everybody think, see what we think. Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, there's a lot of projection that goes with it and uh, doing them, you got to take into consideration the kid that's, you know, physically mature now and may not have a a lot of growth left versus the guy whose numbers may be be a tick shy of some other guys, but you like the projection and you can tell he's still baby face and uh, the body's got a lot of growth and um, it's, it's definitely a balance of what they are now versus what they'll be, you know, next March and and next July come draft time versus what they'll be two years into their college career. So when we're doing this, we do take into account their stats. And when we say stats, what we're talking about 
are, are tool markers. Velocity, movement, exit velocity, launch angle, distance off the bat, arm strength, pop times. We take into account all of that, right? Yeah. I mean, is that, you have is to take that the a, metrics. Is that a, 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 are there lines in the sand? Are there, are there areas where you say, you know, Matt has a higher exit velocity than John, so Matt's going to be ranked higher than John? No, that's uh, you, you can't just draw that line there. You know, we do the events, and a lot of times you'll see a kid with a high exit velocity, and you go back and, and look, and his hardest ball was, you know, a ground uh, ball. He beat straight into the ground in front of home plate versus a guy who consistently hit balls on the barrel, and the top number may be lower, but, you know, you're you're evaluating the swing and, and things like that, that as well, not just not just the number. And so on top of that, we've got players that come to events, they get these these stats, these tool markers for us, um, and then they come to events like our border battle, our top prospect games, our future games um, this fall, our unsigned senior games, our top, top underclass games, and we get to see gameplay on top of it. On top of that, between you, me, and a couple of other guys, we saw over 350 high school games. On top of that, we're at some tournament games. We're getting feedback from our guys in Atlanta and in, in, and in Virginia, and they're watching guys playing games. So how do we mesh gameplay versus physical tools and trying to not only put a, a current grade on them, but then talk about what, what that could do to a future grade? I mean, obviously, you have to, to be a good player, you have to be able to play the game. And, um, you know, I think the game, game weighs more. But at the same time, we've, we've all shown up and seen the kid who's undersized and not very strong play really well in game or, you know, in a tournament. But because of his physical abilities, he's he's going to be very limited on what he can do in the future. So it's it's not just hits or a good a good day or a good weekend. And it's absolutely not just, you know, a fastball or exit velocity either. Uh, one of the other questions we get is on the other type of stat, the actual in-game stat. Johnny hit 430. How in the world is he ranked behind a guy that in his own conference only hit 280? How, how do you, you know, when we're looking at that, are you are you ever even considering some of the stats that are out there that we do see? Or um, is that just, it's something that kind of falls to the wayside based on the way that development's going to happen? I think some matter. Some's kind of like uh, you play in the golf scramble. The the team with the best pencil wins a lot of times, and I think that can be true to uh, who's scoring these high school games too, uh, as far as hits. But it's hard to argue strikeouts. It's yep. hard to argue walks. It's hard hard to argue home runs and uh, and extra base hits. You know, those are a, a lot harder to argue than a batting average or an ERA and things like that. And, you know, one of the things that we heard last year and one of the rankings that we put out towards the end of the year is we had a, we had a young man as a right-hander who would bump 96, you know, was working anywhere from 90 to 94 and consistently bumping six. He spun a breaking ball pretty well, but it was everywhere. I mean, he sprayed it everywhere. And, you know, what's funny on our end, and we share some of these things, is we got an email going, you know, how do you have this guy ranked when he can't even pitch for his high school team because he's spraying the ball everywhere? And on the very next end is how do you have this guy ranked where he is when he's touching 96, he's throwing it. He's got the best fastball in the state. How is he not higher? You know, and I think it's, that's the duality. And then that those two emails speak to a lot of the conversations that you and I have that you and I have with other scouts. This isn't just you in a dark room. This is a collaborative 
um, you know, kind of report. Now, your name being the state director is on this report at the end of the day, but that collaboration, and again, it goes back to kind of tiering players and seeing how they're grouped more so than seeing exactly where they're ranked. Absolutely. And, yeah, you know, like you said, we talk to the, the scouts all the time and, you know, none of us can be everywhere to see every outing or every performance, but, you know, through those conversations, you get a feel of if you saw that kid on one of his better days or, or one of his worst days. And uh, it is hard to ignore 96 mile an hour fastball, but it's also hard to ignore a ton of walks and a guy that, you know, if you put them um, in the ACC, wouldn't pitch or, you know, threw them in, you know, a ball, he would have, he would have trouble having success there versus maybe the guy that's, 92 to 94 and can, you know, has some pitchability and just a more, a more polished product currently versus, uh, you know, somebody else. And, and that's where we see even in the draft, you know, you see these, you know, the NFL draft, the NBA draft, the major League baseball draft, you see the expert that's on TV who's saying, okay, here's the next best prospect. Mel Kuyper's next best on the board. And then that dude's on the board for like 31 picks. <laughs> Because it can be individualistic. You know, what you see and what you like and what, what you guys develop well may be different than what 26 other clubs do. And that's why lists can be different and can be reordered. You know, and, and it's, you know, if, if you get a chance to hang out with pro scouts at, at high school games or at, at events, they're really only dialed in on one or two players per game. There's certain teams and certain events, maybe they're, they're having to watch a little bit more, but most high school games, they're there to see one player. You know, and so they're kind of dialed in when he's on defense just to make sure they're watching. They're really dialed in when he's hitting. But then the rest of the time, they're off talking. Those conversations are just, uh, you know, really fun to be around um, because they do get into, you know, hey, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of this guy? And, and it's not just the current crop. It's guys that are now in the minors. It's guys that were, you know, here's what I had on him three years ago, and now here's what he's doing. I didn't see it coming or – you know, man, I, I think there's more in there. I just hope he gets it figured out. Those are things that we kind of enjoy being around. Those are things that you and I enjoy talking about that I don't think the average baseball fan necessarily gets to see um, that goes, you know, goes into the rankings, yes, but just in terms of how we cut players up on a daily basis, not just the week of the rankings. Yeah, I, I know we've mentioned it before, but, you know, you'll see you get to the draft and there'll be a guy that we have ranked, you know, 15th or you know, 30th get drafted and you say, well, how'd you have all these other kids ahead of them? Well, a lot of it depends on their price. And, you know, you know, scouts put a dollar figure on, on a certain tool or a certain ability and, you know, colleges do it to an extent as well. But if a guy makes himself uh, signable, he'll go up some boards versus a guy who may be a, a better overall player with more tools, but his numbers are a lot higher. And, and as, as we get into the, we're going to start talking about players here in a minute, but let, let's even take it further to a college level. You know, if you look back at our rankings over the last five years of the classes that have gone on, there, there's kind of you can start to see where the tiers are based on where some of the commitments are and based on who was a pro prospect and who wasn't. And you can start kind of drawing some lines in, in those rankings. But inevitably, there's going to be a player four, five, 10, 15 spots outside that tier that played a tier up and played really well or turned himself into a pro prospect from a tier three. Um, you know, we used to talk about finding fits at Charlotte, you know, finding guys that really fit and could communicate with us. And we're going to, from the day one, hit the ground running in, in terms of 
um, their development and, and day one really taking to what we were trying to do in the weight room and what we were trying to do with our strength conditioning and our nutrition plan, understanding the pressure it's going to be put on you academically, because as soon as one of those things falls apart, your other development areas fall apart. And so we really wanted those guys to be you know, highly into that, that understanding what the development phase is going to be. And so we had some undersized guys get pro pro uh, prospect potential because of the way they developed. And I think we see that even in the board in the 24 class, you can start seeing now some of the commitments are really starting to roll in. You can see a guy that maybe we've missed here a little bit based on his commitment. Are we right? Are we wrong? I don't know that we're right or wrong, or there's even that you could even do that. But I think it's interesting to see sometimes players find a fit and then we're pulling for them when they get to that school. You know, regardless of where we have them ranked, I've never, I've never said, you know, man, we had that guy, we had that guy at X, and he's committed here. I, I hope he doesn't play well, so we're wrong. We're, <laughs> we're pulling for those dudes. I'm, I'm wanting that guy to go show everybody how, how fickle the rankings can be, and how much player development plays into it. And you know, when you're looking at the future and trying to grade those guys out in the future. What is it you're looking for that says, okay, his future grade has a chance to go and do this when we don't have a developmental department? And you just got to look at the natural athleticism. Uh, you know, if there's athleticism, then they can obviously get better. And, uh, you know, putting together a recruiting class, usually each class you got to have a, a defensive catcher, a defensive shortstop, and a defensive center fielder. You know, and a lot of times um, – you know, you'll see commitments and the school may have just needed a guy that can catch the ball in the middle of the field and has enough arm to play on the left side. You know, and I think when you you get away from a kid that can play on the left side of the infield, then, you know, he probably goes down a little bit. Uh, a catcher who is, is rough defensively will go down a little bit. You know, an outfielder that hits right-handed and can't play in center will go down a little bit. And I think you kind of, you know, do it, do it there a little bit. And then obviously there's guys that, that get a lot better and, you know, you know, commit maybe above where we have them ranked. And you're obviously happy for those guys because it shows that they've, they've improved their game. Absolutely. Let's stay with some of the commitments here. And as you're, as you've gone through this list, you've sorted this list, you've gone back through this list, you double checked it, triple checked it. And you see, because a lot of what we do is blind when we're, when we're doing the initial rankings, it's based on, you know, kind of the tier we're putting on the player, the grade we put on the player, and some of the confidence levels that we have in that grade. How many times have we seen that player? Did we see him on his best day? Did we see him on his worst day? How does that work? Um, but then you, we add back in their commitments, and you start seeing where some of these guys are going and, you know, some of the gaps and spacing and where, where commitments, you know, there's a lack of commitments in this class. How do you think the transfer portal – has affected the 24 class and what are you noticing colleges are doing with their, with their process um, compared to, you know, pre COVID and even three years ago when, when the transfer portal wasn't a thing. I, I think for the, this 24 class has probably been the most difficult to rank since we've been doing it. And, you know, some of the guys on the list we saw when they were babies, yep. uh, you know, and then COVID hit and, you know, everybody's recruiting off video and college coaches aren't out. So you see commitments, uh, some some players that have, you know, jumped up tremendously up our board. You know, they weren't able to be seen at a younger age because people weren't out as much. And then, you know, you throw in the, the transfer portal that got through on this class and, 
I think that's why you see a lot of a wide range of commitments throughout the board. And, you know, and there's been, you know, a lot of change, especially when you get outside the top 50 in this class, just this class has dealt with so much from COVID to the transfer portal, the new rules. And um, it's, it's, it's been one of the more interesting classes to deal with. Yeah. I, I, watching what some of the programs are bringing in the 23 class. Now that they're compete, completing that 23 class, you know, you're seeing they're allowed to be at 40 on their roster, which is higher than what they had thought they were going to be allowed to be at. So that's the first thing. There was, 35 was kind of the number everybody was thinking they were going to be at. The NCAA came back and said, hey, we're going to let you carry 40, which I think is a good thing. I think that number allows you to practice at a higher level throughout the year. Um, then the, the, the next thing was, you know, are they still recruiting high school guys? Are they still recruiting junior college guys? Or are they just strictly in the portal? Um, and you're seeing the portal affect some of the numbers. And so it's not affecting the overall number of players that are, that are committed. It's affecting where that line is for Division One, Division Two, JUCO. Um, and you're seeing more and more players, uh, I think, opt or be pushed towards maybe a junior college lifestyle, which isn't a bad thing. And, and we're seeing, you know, some of the junior colleges in the areas, I think, really uh, take advantage of that and some of their developmental systems, allowing those coaches to get a second evaluation on them over the next two years. Uh, and so I'm really interested to see, you know, typically in North Carolina, we're between 425 and 475 commits every year with more than half of those coming after uh, December of the senior year. So as many commitments as we have on the board right now, we're still not even halfway to what we're going to see. Um, in terms of Division One commitments, we're probably starting to roll into that 80 to 90% range of the Division Ones being uh, in that area of being done with high school. Um, and so that's one area I'm interested to really follow with this class because, uh, you know, I'm looking through a little bit. You know, when we get to, you know, number 60, there's a little bit of a gap in some of the commitments. Um, and then as we really get to about 125, it starts to thin out. Now you still see some division one guys in there. You still see some junior college guys in there. You start to see some division two guys in there. Um, but it starts to thin out a little bit in terms of where those colleges are at and, and where these guys are committed. And again, we still got a long, long way to go with this class. So in terms of following commitments with this class, what are you excited to watch here over the next you know, six months? You know, like you talked about those gaps and commitments. A lot of guys that we have, they have, you know, some Division One tools in there, or how we've graded them out. And like you mentioned, it, it may just not fit in some rosters right now. So I, to me, it'll be interesting to see where a lot of those guys end up. And, um, you know, if they do decide to go junior college, or they end up at a Division One down the road or do they go become a Division Two All-American? Yeah. And uh, like you said, there's a, t a ton left to, to do with this class. And, um you know, the fall will be big, the winter will be big, and it'll be really interesting to see where they're at, I think, when we, you know, we do the, the March update or, or whenever it is and, and see how much change between now and then. Well, let's talk a little bit about the college process now. You you're, put your recruiting coordinator hat back on. You get to this point in the summer, and typically you're feeling pretty good about where your class is at, right? You're on the phone. You're probably telling commits, hey, we're in a holding pattern. We're – we got to just kind of make sure on the roster, you're probably holding back a couple of junior college spots. Um, you know, more than likely you're probably holding back some portal spots moving forward with this class and then fall practice hits. 
And then you watch the guys that you had incoming. Then you watch the guys that are supposed to have gotten better over the summer. And then you watch, you know, some injury issues take place. And what happens about halfway through that fall, just about all the way across the country, what does every recruiting coordinator uh, get that itch and start to think about? They start seeing uh, who's still available. And, yep. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's happened. seems to happen every year in North Carolina. There's, there's one to three arms that, either pop up out of nowhere or make a tremendous jump and their recruiting process gets, gets really busy in a hurry. Well, and as good as, as good as evaluators are, as good as you are are an evaluator and I am as an evaluator, you know, we would bring guys in on classes and inevitably you get about halfway through the fall and you'd have a freshman that couldn't get anybody out. And you had projected him as maybe he's a, he's a bullpen piece. Maybe he's a, he's a setup guy, closer type, eventually a starter. And now you're looking at the guy going, I don't know if he's ever going to throw an inning for us because he can't get anybody out. And so now we have a need. We we thought this guy may be a starter in two years. We have a need. And so now I'm back on the phone. I'm trying to find, you know, best available arm. Or, we, you know, maybe we had a catcher and we knew he was a light-hitting catcher, you know, but we really liked his arm and his defense. And then we saw how light-hitting, light-hitting meant. And you're going, uh, uh, I really don't want that guy in the lineup. we got to have nine guys have a chance to put pressure on guys. And so while it wasn't a miss, it really doesn't design itself to, to put your your program in a regional, you know, in, 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 in position for championships. That's a good backup piece, but we're not going to count on that guy to ever start for us. i got to go find a starting catcher now. Um, so that's the next rush in the recruiting class for the 24s. Um, is that kind of that mid-fall, oh, my gosh, what have we done? i got to go find a guy. That's that's the one that's coming up next for them. And then the, the the final piece at the higher levels is the draft. You know, and and we all, you know, whether it's a high school guy or whether it's a junior on our roster, ideally guys keep getting better. And we're looking at it going, oh, my gosh, that guy may not show up on campus or he may not be here next year. And now there's another rush on players and, you know, so for the 24 class, keep getting better. There, there are going to be opportunities. There's going to be eyes on you. You know, at the higher level, it starts to funnel a little bit, you know, in terms of, you know, you know there may be some JUCOs and D3s and D2s. As you start to look at the really power fives, you know, it may be only one or two slots. But there are going to be opportunities. Keep putting yourself out there. Um, Matt, let's turn to the rankings. And, and the big news in the 2024 rankings is we have a new number one. Um, you want to introduce him and talk about, about our new number one prospect in the 2024 class? Yeah, I believe it's the, the first time since the initial release that, uh, that we have a new number one, and it's, it's Perry Hargett, Metrolina Christian, uh, North Carolina commit, um, athletic, you know, plays short, plays center, went to East Coast Pro, um, really toolsy, quickness and strength in there. And, uh, you know, he's, he's made the, the jump to number one in the North Carolina class. Yeah, he was at our pro case, really athletic. Um, you know, I, I think I, I don't I don't know how much when we're looking at this and trying to figure out what do we do with our grades, I don't know that his grade made a significant jump. I don't know that Anderson Nancy Tort Manual took a significant hit. I think it was just kind of a culmination of some of the things that we had on Perry um got ironed out. We we saw the bat play. We saw the bat play a little bit more consistently because we saw more at bats. It wasn't like he changed anything. We just saw more at bats. And where the jump for him came was we got to know him better because we saw more of him versus, you know, Anderson Nance didn't go backwards. Truett Manuel didn't go backwards. Their grades didn't change if I'm reading our charts right. Um, it was really just 
you know, Perry Hargett, we saw more of him. The grades were similar, and we feel like the the projection on him and what guys are looking for, um, you know, it, it grades out tools-wise just slightly above those two guys. You know, talk a little bit about Anderson and Truitt, obviously sliding to from one and two to two and three, you know, but was it really a slide? No, it wasn't a slide. I, you know, I don't think either of those guys have, have done anything to fall. Um, it's just sometimes – how the, how the tools lay out a little bit and um, you still like both those guys and uh, the years they had last year and excited to see uh, if they have any jumps headed into next spring. As we slide down, we're going to stay inside the top 12 here. We had two high risers that are inside the top 12. Moving up from number 39 to number nine, a Texas commit catcher, Ryan Schwartz. And saying that on a chart as he, he was at Combine last year, is he at Pro 5 this year? Uh, I believe he's still at Combine. At Combine, okay. No, Ty- no, a typo yeah. there. <laughs> as, we're, as we're live. Uh, so Ryan Schwartz, Combine catcher, committed to Texas. You know, slots up 30 slots. You know, what What was it with Ryan that – because that, obviously there's a grade change there. And, um, you know, his grade had to take a jump to jump ahead of some of the prospects that were ahead of him prior. Uh, just the tools, you know, that's a, a name we'd heard in the past and seen some tools. And then he goes out this summer and uh, he's the guy everyone's talking about and um, kind of matched the game performance a little bit with, with some of the tools he'd shown in the past and uh, just be- became more polished. Yeah, he was a guy who actually was on our list to go to future games last year. You know, it, it wasn't like the, the some of the tools came out of nowhere. We We had seen him and he had reclassed. So he's a little bit older for this class, too reclassing down into the 24 class, making the change to Combine Academy. Um, and the body has taken, I mean, it's a very mature body and he is he is physical. Um, you know, you look at him where he was a year ago, you look at him where he is now, and that time at Combine and what they do, you know, the time those guys have to, to really get in the weight room and be really cognizant of their nutrition, I think really paid off for him. The arm was always there. The feet have gotten better. The arms, you know, the carry w- was good, but now you're the exchange times um, between, you know, the pop to release, you know, significantly improved. Uh, the biggest question on him, and is there room on him to continue to move up, will be the bat. And how does the bat play? Um, you know, and BP, it's, 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 it's electric. I mean, there's, there's some juice in there. Haven't seen that quite play out games consistently. And, you know, all sorts of reasons for that. But I think pro scouts are going to be in there this fall, this spring, kind of really eyeing Combine and and Ryan to see how the hit tool continues to progress. And obviously catchers are a high-risk draft, but we saw the Royals take one um, at number seven or number nine overall in this past year's draft. You know, someone similar to Ryan, big-time arm, good athlete. You know, they think they can develop the hit tool, and they, they popped him in the first round. So, you know, we'll see where that helium and, and that goes for him. And then the other one I wanted wanted you to talk about was Cameron Bagwell, right-handed pitcher from South Mech, committed to UNC Wilmington, um, somebody we've known since he was in eighth grade. Yeah, he uh, you know when the class started, he was he was up there pretty high, and uh, went to Junior Futures with us and uh, battled some injuries, and the injuries were the the main reason for him uh, him falling back a little bit in the class and. Saw him this summer uh, back healthy. Uh, breaking ball has gotten better and goes to East Coast, East Coast Pro, commits to UNC Wilmington, and uh, looks to be headed in the right direction right now. He had a really good state games, and he is a physical, physical dude on the bump, and he threw strikes. 
you know, coming off the injury, he threw strikes. Um, you know, I think we saw either a 90, a 91, maybe a 92. Uh, the breaking ball was, was good enough. Um, but it's the physicality you're kind of betting on. And, and, and he'll be an interesting follow because, you know, his dad's physical too. His brother played Division One baseball, um, wasn't quite as physical as, as Cameron is. Um, but the, the, there's athleticism with the brother. So I, I think with Cameron, he may have gotten a mix. And as we start to see him really mature into his frame, we may see quickness kind of align itself with that strength that's in the body. And if the arm becomes a little bit more whippy, you could see the fastball grow. Um, so he'll be an interesting follow. Um, one more arm, and then um, to discuss as a high riser, somebody from your neck of the woods, Tyler Goodson, um, was at Maiden High School, committed to Liberty. He may be at a different high school now. He is at or, a different high school. He is? Uh, North Lincoln last year. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. That's what it was. He was <laughs> okay, so he's at a different high school last year, but – we jumped Tyler from 62 to 19. Um, what did we see out of Tyler? You know, a, a, a Liberty commit that was a, a Campbell commit, and then when their pitching coach went to Liberty, he he kind of reopened up his commitment and then followed his, his pitching coach um, commitment, at least, to Liberty. And, and But what did we see out of Tyler that, that allowed for him to take that significant jump in our rankings? Uh, larger frame kid. He's uh, always shown some arm strength and – uh, made a jump this year. He was, you know, really good at state games, getting up into the 90s, and had a good summer. And um, his secondary stuff started to to develop. And I think he's a he's a guy that you know the scouts will will see and see if he uh, he continues to jump a little bit and add some polish to uh, to his pitchability and secondary stuff. Yeah, with with the arms that are in our top 20, and and it's just I, I'm. I don't want to. I don't want to put any one player on blast, but one of the things that we're having to deal with, one of the things that we're constantly reviewing now, is is where guys are injury wise, and then what does that do to our rankings? So Drake Purvis misses most of last year. We kind of kept him in that top ten, and all of a sudden he was back and throwing the ball very well. Um, you know, this summer um, we talked about Bagwell. He had had some arm issues. Drew Downs is an outfielder who had gotten hurt. Um, James Nesta, it's a little different. I don't think his is an injury issue as much as his is he's a dual sport guy, an Oklahoma commit for baseball and football, um, and probably football first, it would be my guess. But watching what he's gone through with his transition, when when you have some of these guys, why why aren't we making big moves with them in the rankings when they're hurt? Or, or when we see a, a slight tick down, if that makes sense. I mean, there's there's still uh, amateurs. Uh, there's going to be ups and downs throughout the career, throughout their career, and you never know, you know, from what we do, how much they're doing behind the scenes. Are they, you know, are they trying a new training program? Are they in the weight room or not? And um, you know, you try not to, you try not to punish guys over, you know. A, a bad season in their careers when you've, when you've seen them do something good in the past. And, you know, with some injuries, you, you talked about Purvis and some of those guys, you know, when you've seen them good and you know, they're athletic, uh, then, then you, you, you know, they have an opportunity to bounce back and, you know, jet music's going to be going to be in there. He's battled some injuries and, yep. you know, he's, he's so athletic that, uh, you know, you, you keeps your hopes high from him coming back from injury and, and showing improvement. And uh, it, it's a process and, 
you know, we try our best to be patient with those guys and not make any any rash decisions on 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 guys we get to see fairly regular. And I think again, it goes to the the aspect of the the rankings list is kind of a living document. It, it's constantly moving. It's constantly adjusting. I, we we have the pleasure because of the way you do the database, we can see all the way back to, ooh, how far back here we go. We can go back a long way. It's 2021 with the rankings, you know, <laughs> August of 21, we can see where some of these guys were. And, you know, guys like Anderson Nance, he's been one or two, you know, Perry Hargett, we initially had at 39 when the list was probably just 50. And then all of a sudden he makes a big jump in the next year and he's at six, three, three, one in our last, you know, four. And it's, you know, some of that is guys get better. Some, a lot of that is we see them more, we get more familiar with them. So when we talk about a guy that's had some injury issues, you know, there can be different ways we talk about them with a Drake Purvis or a Jet Music. Those are two guys that we're pretty familiar with. You know, we have some history with those guys. We've seen those guys for a long time. So missing six months not that big a deal to us, but <clears throat> if it's a guy, and I'm gonna, I'm just picking a name out, B.J. Brown, I don't think has had any injury issues, but he's a guy that we didn't know very well. We knew he was really athletic. We knew he was a high-end football talent, but we really got our first taste of B.J. Brown at state games. And so, you know, he was a guy that was in the 120s and 140s um, as of a year ago. And then as we see him in high school, bam, we jump him up. As we've seen at state games, now he's in the top 50. You know, so that living document aspect of, you know, this isn't finished. You know, this is kind of where they're at now. But if we were to redo this next week and we saw some some events, it may change. I know it's going to change in the next three months because we're going to have fall events and fall games and some other big-time events that we're going to go see. And then definitely by the time we get to the high school season, you know, this list is going to be completely changed up while a lot of it may look the same, even if guys are slotted the same, our opinion of them may be stronger or lighter or more or less. Yeah, and I think, you know, we talk to people all the time, and a lot of times we get names early on, and uh, it sounds like, a you know, a guy that needs to be in there. And, you know, one thing I try to do is when you get those names, you know they're a prospect, is don't put them in too high. Uh, I'd, I'd rather, you know, them work, you know, us see them and make the big jump up the board, then, you know, trust somebody's opinion or somebody that saw them one time on the best day of their life. And all of a sudden you get them in there and then they got to take, you know, huge falls throughout the rankings. And uh, yeah, I'd rather guys have to make big jumps up the board than make, you know, big falls down. And, and that's a really good point in terms of how we build this list, because I think, I do think even within our, within our company, as guys are building out their their list, especially at the earlier age groups, there's some different philosophies on on that. You know, do do we want to highlight a name? Do we want to have that high riser out of nowhere that we really don't know a lot about? But man, we saw him great once. Boom, he's a top five guy, and then we learn he's not, and now we got to slide him out of there quietly. Maybe we're not we're not writing stories about how we're we're sliding him out, but you know, versus the the seeing him and getting a little bit more comfortable with him and trying to grade him up that way. So I, and, and I think from our end too, we're not necessarily in a hurry to put a, a final grade on a guy, you know, we can think through this list and, and, and I'm going to give you a second to kind of look through the list for a guy that maybe we saw early on as a freshman or sophomore that maybe, 
you know, we, we put it in, and you're not, the listeners may not know what the grades are, but maybe we put a seven on him. And now, you know, we look back up and he's gotten stronger. He's an eight, three, you know, there's one in the 25 class. I know we were light on prior to future games last year. And then after future, I was light on you, you, you pegged him earlier than I did, but we saw him as an eighth grader and, and we impede him because he wasn't a prospect at the time because he weighed 95 pounds. But then three years later, you know, he's a top five prospect in that class. Are there any, is there anybody that kind of comes to mind in this class where you're looking at him going, man, that guy's done, that guy's just, he's continued to get better and we continue to move him up the board throughout the course of the last, you know, year to two years? Andrew Wallen for me, uh, you know, building the class, heard the name, uh, saw him throw somewhere in a short stint and you saw the body and some arm strength there, but it wasn't very polished. And you think he's a guy that he needs to be ranked. Uh, he could be a division one prospect, but not enough his history to, you know, get him in the top 50 there or whatever. And I, you know, I think I had him somewhere between, you know, 90 to 120, you know, and then all of a sudden he, you know, see him more. And uh, I think he was at an all state event and you kept hearing his name more and more and he, he makes a big jump up. So I think, You'd rather be a little more careful with guys on the front end and let them make the jump and, you know, maybe even, you know, look wrong or bad on the front end than, you know, on the back end when you got to drop a guy 100 spots. Well, he was he was an interesting guy for the pro scouts, too, because we were early on him compared to them, whereas in our own estimation, we were probably a little light on him early. Um, and then we kind of moved him up. And then pro scouts, he's, he's throwing the ball well. Jay Droz, word's kind of getting out. But the number one question I got from guys – was is he a pitcher? Is he a hitter? Because he was putting up good numbers as a hitter at J.H. Rose. And, you know, we give our opinion on that. But I would also, I urge the pro scouts I talked to, I said, I think he's this, but go in there with open eyes. I mean, it's it's a lanky body and maybe, maybe he can hit. Maybe I've, I've been, I've seen him, I've seen him two or three times. And so I have my opinion, but I haven't closed the door on it yet either. You know, another guy for me that comes up, and, and, and again, you're going to laugh because it's it's one of my personal favorites. It's kind of my, my my cheesy favorite on this list is Walker McDuffie. We saw Walker in August of 2021, and we put him kind of towards the bottom. I think that list was at 75. We had him at 54. You know, and again, that's still a pretty good grade. That We're, we're only ranking 75, but we're probably only ranking guys we have Division One grades on at that point. Um, so he's at 54. We see him again. We see him in a bullpen. It's loose. We see him again at last year's state games, and he gets into some issues and some troubles. He doesn't panic. He throws a ton of strikes. A slider's a weapon. We take him to future games. He's just dominant in two innings there. We had a chance to be around him. Nothing phases the kid. He commits to Chapel Hill, you know, and we're looking at him right now at 18, but you and I are also having the conversation of if he goes to Chapel Hill and for three years he's their stopper, He's their first guy out of the bullpen, and it's 89 to 94 with that slider. He may turn himself into a top three-round guy, and are we light at 18? You know, and, and how how much projection do we want to put on that guy? Um, and, and, and does that move him further up the board? I, I think we have to play with that a little bit in terms of where they're at now versus where we think they're going to be in the future um, and, and what actual prog- uh, projection is versus – hoping is we're, we're hoping he, he really dials this stuff in at Chapel Hill and does what we think he has a chance to do. But I think when you're grading out pure fastball, you know, it's going to be tough to put 
a 60 on his fastball in the future. The slot doesn't allow for it maybe, but the, the movement and the way it plays, it may play like a 60. And so that, you know, but that's going to be more of a deal of, is he getting ACC hitters out with his fastball? That allows you to put a 60 on the fastball effectiveness when the grade on the fastball is actually just a 50, if that makes sense. Um, you know, and, and you knew we weren't going to get through a 2024 ranking without me talking about Walker. So yeah, it's hard not to love the kid. And, you know. <laughs> I'm going to scroll through the list. I know we, we saw Christopher Donaldson in our border battle. Um, agree, he was been at green level. I think he's at pro five now. Um, a physical broad shouldered uh, right hander and the fastballs jumped. And, and the command is, it's effective command right now. It's more control of the, he's throwing strikes. He's not really throwing to spots. Um, but I think a lot of that's because he'd gone from being 84, 86, 87 to being 88, 92, um, you know, and the breaking ball is starting to come along with it. So I think he's an interesting follow being at pro five, what they've done with development um, and the kind of watching, you know, how he continues to develop. Um, let's, let's talk about some of the hitters. And, and I know your guys at, at Western Carolina have been um, fairly active here lately, getting some commitments with Jackson Godfrey, uh, Caden Haywood out of Hickory Ridge, um, John Lobbs out of Reagan, and not just Western Carolina, but where are you seeing some commitments and some guys that are, are maybe they're committing to schools that are great fits that are going to allow their grade to kind of play up. Is there anybody on this list where you're looking at him going, that dude really fits with that school. And I think we, you know, over the course of time, our ranking is going to end up being light because that guy has gotten so much better. That type of guy has gotten so much better at that type of school. Yeah. I think, you know, mentioned those Western Carolina guys and, you know, coach Beck's being back there. And I thought, you know, from when he was there before to Georgia Southern to now he does a, a great job of, He'll take a guy with the raw power, but maybe lacks a little bit of the the hit tool currently. Uh, and then he'll take the guy that's got the hit tool and, you know, some gap power and, you know, maybe he's a little light defensively. And he just always seems to do a good job of of mixing those guys in a class. And then, you know, they get there and you look up and they're, you know, their sophomore year, they're playing every day and, and putting up numbers and their deficiency is has really improved. Yeah, one of the schools that stood out for me was UNC Asheville, too. And, and, and that staff, that staff has, they've been working for a number of years. This isn't a fluke where, you know, the program's, you know, kind of taking up, taking up, taking up, taking up, and they're fighting the portal. You know, they've done a good job developing some guys that have been left. Um, but when we look at the, this list, I think they've made a decision where there may be, they may be able to go get some high school guys that maybe weren't available in years past, but with everybody spending time in the portal, they're hammering some of these guys in North Carolina, Jake Pereira. I think Jake's a really interesting get for them because he's athletic, he's got strength, but I think his gameplay is outplays his tools. And so I think he has a chance to outplay maybe, maybe what his grade is over the course of three years because he's such a good player. Logan Lowe, guy that was at our top prospect games last year, uh, our border, I think he was at our border battle this year. Uh, just a quick twitch, fiery, high level, high energetic, high energy um, player who's got a chance to play at a faster pace um, than a lot of the guys on on any roster that he's on. Um, I thought that was a tremendous pickup. 
Blaze Johnson is a catcher that we, you and I have both loved for three years, um, you know, high level hit tool. And so watching, you know, how schools are kind of attacking, not just, not, not necessarily our rankings list and going through that, but how they're attacking this transfer portal era and what, what are they doing? Are they sitting back and waiting for the portal and spending a ton of time in that? Or are they maybe taking advantage of what may be not normally left on the board uh, as we're going through this 24 class? Yeah, and I, one thing we touched on a little bit earlier, but you see some of these guys uh, we have ranked up there pretty good that aren't committed. You know, there's a, this class has several uncommitted catchers. Um, yeah. That have shown well that I think, uh, you know, depending on how things shake out when, you know, fall practice gets going and, and some other things you may see go off the board pretty quick. And then there's a lot of, uh, a lot of infielders that, uh, you know, we've seen well that, uh, you know, I think without the portal may be off the board. And I think you'll see them go, uh, go at some point when uh, teams figure out their, their fall roster a little better and, you know, what their team's going to look like uh, a year down the road. So with rankings week, Matt, run me through what we got coming up. Today is Wednesday as we tape this. I'm going to try and get this out tonight or tomorrow, so maybe Thursday before the podcast drops. Um, but Wednesday, you know, what are we looking to get to with our rankings in the 2024 class? Have you set kind of a number on the back end that we're going, we're cutting it off at? Uh, we'll be somewhere in the 275 to 300 range. Okay. Uh, when it's when it's all all done, and uh, that'll go out on on Wednesday. And as usual, there'll be these stories to follow highlighting, uh, you know, several new guys uh, jumped into the class and then uh, several guys uh, made some big jumps up the board too. Yeah. And on the back end of that, I'm going to take the rankings from, you know, Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and kind of do some mid Atlantic uh, projection projection list, you know, profiles, guys to name kind of setting up infielders in different areas that have similar grades on them, kind of compare and contrast what's in the different areas so as we start rolling towards the major league draft, you know, some of the names will be popping up, not only in our state, but in our region, guys will have some familiarity with. Um, and then Friday, uh, the national list drops. So the national list will be updated, um, being updated right now, but that national list will drop on Friday. Big story to come all that. We'll see what how many North Carolina guys are in the national rankings, you know, where they're going to be listed at. Uh, I would I would bet shooters probably trying to get to the top 500. That would be my guess. I know he's. it's a lot of names he's going through. And, you know, it's an interesting class because, you know, in North Carolina, I, I would. I don't think the class is down. I think the class is middle heavy. I, I think there's a ton, a ton more, you know, high-level D1 guys on the list or, or just D1-type commitments on the list than maybe we've had in years past. But we don't have – you know, the, the first round follow, we don't have five top three round follows. Um, you know, somebody may jump in there. You know, we, we could see obviously Perry, we talked about Perry, we talked about Anderson, we talked about Truett, Caden Morris is another guy. It's just that physical size and does the arm strength continue to develop? And there's some guys that could jump in. It's still early, but that's where this class is missing. And so when we see the national rankings, I think it'll be reflected in that a little, um, and then we'll roll into next week. We'll kind of polish off the 24s, and then we do it again with the 25s on Wednesday, those coming out there then as well, right? Yeah, we, we might need two shows for that 25 class. You know, <laughs> talk to all the folks. 
<laughs> it's a loaded it's a loaded class on a national level here in North Carolina with that with that it, class. It is. So the, the and I think like like the twenty fours, it's middle heavy too. It's got a ton of depth, but the top end of that class may be the, one of the best classes in North Carolina's history. So we're going to get into all of that, um, but make sure you're going to um, prepbaseballreport.com throughout this week, checking on all the rankings from all the states, all the areas across the country, dropping on Wednesday and then Friday the national rankings. If you're liking this podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Follow along. We've got some things that will come out throughout the week. Uh, with some shorts based on what we've seen here. There'll be some clips of some players and things like that. So we're constantly trying to update and roll out more information. Um, And then we'll be back next week, obviously, to talk about the 25 release, the following the 26 release. And Matt's going to be in his dungeon kind of typing away and working on those things. So we'll wake him up and get him out on Wednesday (laughs) of next week to kind of get him in some sunlight, be able to do this podcast again. For Matt Payne, I'm Brandon Hall. This is the Prep Baseball Report of North Carolina Podcast. And we'll see you at the